Lord, what a privilege it is to gather as your people this day and to travel through this book of Genesis together so we might learn how we might walk with you in our weaknesses, in our woundedness. I thank you for our friends down the hall and the, the day that this represents for all of us as we share fellowship in you together. And I ask, Lord, as this word is brought forth this morning and we look at this wrestling match like none other, we ask, Lord, you would think our thoughts, that my words would be yours to this, your people. That, Lord, you would bend our wills to yours. And we, like Jacob, would put away our immaturity and grow in maturity and holiness. And you would set our hearts on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Growing up, I had a great affection for high school wrestlers, you know, those, because football was that game where if you didn't have some size and some girth, you'd get run over. But, you know, there's nothing like a 99-pound wrestler who's a stud. <laughs> he could be that on a wrestling team, you know, and I had a great affection for our high school wrestling coach because he was my freshman football coach, Paul Labazetta. He grew up in New Jersey outside of Philadelphia, and he spoke like it. He spoke like Rocky, you know? And he wasn't used to this Virginia stuff, but he loved it. He loved us. He was hard on us. And he always tried to get me to wrestle, and I was never going to wrestle. We had to wrestle in PE class, and I was good at it. And I liked it in PE class, but I just didn't want to do this all winter long. I mean, you know, I played football. I played baseball. Those were fun. Wrestling was really hard work. And the neat thing about Coach Labazetta in my life was he was the one guy who stood out in my, all my whole life who said, you need to be here. And he moved me on my freshman football team to running back from tight end. We had 100 kids try out for our freshman football team. 100 kids. It was amazing. And he moved me, and I never stopped playing from that point on. And so I love this man. He was a good man. He was my strength coach through all the years. And he took our wrestling program from nothing to we won the district in 79. We won it my senior year in 1980. In 1982, which was Kim's senior year, W.T. Woodson High School won the wrestling state championship with a group of great guys and with a great coach. I was so happy for him as a coach because he worked so hard. And... You know, it was, it was an exciting time of life because you went to a wrestling match and there was just as many people at this wrestling match on Wednesday nights as it was on Friday night basketball games. It was amazing. In my senior year, it got to the last wrestling match, the heavyweights. And our heavyweight at Woodson High School was a guy named Richard Matusko. All right? Richard weighed 250 pounds and went on to play football at Yale. All right? But the score was tied. So it came down to Richard and the Fairfax High School guy, and the gym was so loud you couldn't even hear yourself talk. It was so exciting to see, and Richard won the match, pinned the big fat hog. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, Richard! And we won, and we won the district my senior year. We were so happy for our wrestling friends, even the 99-pound guy. But as exciting as that was, it pales in comparison to
to being a transformed person in new creation in Jesus Christ. And what we are seeing here in this passage in Genesis 32 is a phenomenal transformation in Jacob. I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, because we're going to look at this today, because this is a wrestling match like you've never seen. And what we're going to learn as God's people today is of the wounds of God, the blessings of God, and the confidence that we get in God. All right? The wounds of God, the blessings of God, and the confidence in God. All right. We've traveled a lot since last week in this particular passage. Uh, let's get caught up. We last left him with two wives. He thought he was getting one, right? The schemer got schemed. And so Uncle Laban tricked him, and now he's got two wives. And so turnabout's fair play. And ever since that time, he has amassed incredible wealth. Uncle Laban has been almost cursed by God. But Jacob is just blessed. Everything he touches turns to gold. And he is the most wealthy man in the area to the point where God tells him it's time to go home. Now remember, this is a 550-mile trip. So he figured by himself it took him about two and a half to three months to walk this. Well, now he's got two wives, two concubines, all these children, these servants, and animals. And he's going to go back, because he's been told by the Lord, to go back home to Beersheba, because that's his land. That's where he's going to live. So God calls him to go back, and you know, there's a problem back home. Remember? What's his problem? Yeah. It's been 20 years now, but do you think Esau has forgotten that he tricked him out of his birthright? Well, that was Esau's fault. But the blessing was not Esau's fault. The blessing was all Jacob and Rebekah stealing his blessing. And he left originally, remember, because Esau was just waiting until Isaac died and then he was going to kill him. So he took off. And now he's headed back. So when we arrived at verse 22, he sent out scouts into the land to find out, you know, hey, just want to make sure we're going to be okay. And the scouts come back and they say, um... Esau is coming, and he's got 400 men with him. This is not a welcome home party. This is a small army. And so, wisely, Jacob divides his family up, because whoever this army comes and attacks, at least half his family will survive. And so, this, in the beginning of this passage, he crosses the Jabbok Ford, and it's the middle of the night, and he sends his family away, and he's by himself. And he prays to God, Lord, protect us, watch over us, keep us. And then suddenly, we discover an attack. Verse 24b, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. 
first point is the Lord wounds the self-sufficient. We see Jacob getting attacked and slipped a half Nelson in the dark. Jacob doesn't know who this guy is. All of a sudden, this guy you know, starts a wrestling match with him. He's not trying to beat him. He's wrestling with him. And when you wrestle, you're wrestling for what? Control. And so he realizes that this is a legit wrestling match, and Jacob is wrestling for his match in life, and it goes on for hours. Those of you who have ever wrestled, even if it was just PE class, know, you know, a three-minute period in, in, in a wrestling match feels like forever. And it's absolutely exhausting. And in high school, there's, what, three, three periods, three three-minute periods, and the last one's two? Or is it two two-minutes? I can't remember. Something like that. There you go. Thank you, Brian. Three, two, two. It's exhausting! At the end of it, you're done. This goes on all night. And Jacob couldn't prevail. And the man couldn't prevail. And Jacob, I'm sure, is wondering, who are you? I mean, where did you come from? What's going on here? I'm just trying to go back home and get my life back on track, you know, and do the right thing. My real problem should be Esau. I don't need this. And then suddenly, he doesn't slip him a half Nelson. He doesn't do a single leg takedown or a fireman's carry. He does a godly touch. He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. You ever had a dislocated hip? Dislocated shoulder? Dislocated finger? Anyone who's had such will tell you, it's excruciating. And the moment that happens, this match is over. It's over. He's in terrible pain. And the reality is, Jacob will never walk normal again. And what we're going to discover here is that's a sign of God's grace to him. It's a gift. Because he's been self-sufficient. He's been doing even his relationship with the Lord his way, not God's way. Even since God met him in the latter vision. And so God touched his hip. This touching is, in the Hebrew, a gentle touch. If you've ever seen a wrestling match, they're violent. You know, we used to say, son, you need to wrestle. I don't want to wrestle. Well, you're always getting in fights. Yeah, but that's fun. Well, this is where you can get in fights legally and beat up people and you won't get in trouble. And so God just reaches out with a gentle touch and it's, ah! It's that powerful because this mysterious man in the dark has incredible power that Jacob realizes he's been holding back. <laughs> he's got moves that I can't match. I'm out of my league here. And so Jacob realizes he's got more problems than he originally thought. And we'll talk about those in a little bit. 
But in this first point, we need to see that God wants each and every one of us that there's never really life change in our lives that comes in until the fundamental foundations of our lives have been challenged. And it shows us that whatever we've been thinking about who God is outside of God's word might be wrong. Whatever our real problem is, whatever our real solution we think it may be, is going to be found in the Lord, not ourselves. And instantly Jacob saw it, and he changed. And this limp that he has for the rest of his life is a sign of God's grace to him. You might think, well, that's some sign of grace, getting crippled for the rest of your life. Hey, he, was, he deserved a lot worse, right? I mean, we were talking around the dinner table, around Sunday dinner last night, and, and some of my boys go, I don't even like Jacob. I go, that's the point. Have you? He's a schemer. He's a grabber. He's a manipulator. And he, now he's met his match. Because God's not giving up on him. And you know what? Those wounds of our own self-sufficiency are God's grace to us. And I have my wounds. You have your wounds, right? You should. The Bible says the wounds of a friend are a blessing. Because that's what this is. Because the wounds of a person who's trying to do this they're trying to do an intervention. <laughs> They're wounds to get us out of our own denial. They're wounds to get us out of our self-sufficiency. And who are the self-sufficient? Every single one of us are self-sufficient. Trying to do our lives, our, even our Christian lives, our way, and not necessarily the Lord's way. So that's the first thing. God wounds the self-sufficient. Secondly, we see that God blesses the dependent believer. Verse 26. Then, God said, let me go for the day is broken, which means sun's coming up. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. You know, it's a little humorous. Jacob's limping, and he's like holding on to his ankle. All right? Just picture this. He won't let go. All right? I will not let you go until you bless me. He wants a blessing that he really never received before from his father, right? It's lying, laid dormant for 20 years. Bless me just for who I am. I don't need to pretend I'm Esau anymore. That's what's going on here. And Jacob knew he couldn't win this match. And so over these verses, he's asking for a blessing and wants to know God's name. Which is another way for, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to see your face. But sun's coming up. 
Before, he was wrestling with God, trying to control God. And this wrestling match is all a metaphor, symbolic of Jacob been wrestling with God, and now he's going to wrestle for God. It's revealed to him he's been doing this his whole life putting his God in a pocket God, which is very convenient for him. He can take it out and worship him whenever he wants. And when it's not convenient, he won't. And he's come to the point where he realizes he's wrong. This is who God is. He's been angry with God. He's been inconsistent in his walk with God his entire life. Why did you give me the father that you gave me, Lord? Why did I have that hairy brother of mine? Why did I have to lie to get the birthright and the blessing? And all of a sudden he realizes, wait, I didn't have to lie to get God's blessing. I've been wrestling with God my entire life. If I did it God's way, I'll get the blessing. So he holds on for this blessing. And he says, I want to see your name. It's another way in the Hebrew to say, I want to see your face. Remember Exodus 33 and 34, right? When Moses said, Lord, show me your face. What does he say? You can't see my face and live, Moses. So he puts him in the cleft. He says, well, show me your glory, Lord. And God passes by and just shows him his backside. It's an amazing story. And God knows as the sun's coming up, you can't see me. You're not going to know my name. Because in ancient cultures, to give up your name is to give up power. And God wants authority in Jacob's life because this is the person who's going to be a patriarch of his people. So Jacob now realized what he really wanted his entire life was just to use God to get his blessing and to get his birthright. And he's finally come to realize what his grandfather Abraham discovered, that the Lord is your shield and your exceeding great reward. To have the personal relationship with the living God in this way is my reward, because that's what I'm going to have forever. And with his people. All this stuff doesn't matter. Half as much as knowing him. And God teaches me, you've been using me, Jacob, as your pocket God, as your good luck charm. Saying, all these blessings, material that you've been discovered, oh, I'm so blessed. Aren't you sick of hearing that? We're so blessed. But why? What, what more are we blessed other than materially? Because we're all rich, right? We are. Let me take you to Joss, Nigeria. Let me take you to Bukuru. Let me take you to Appalachia, for crying out loud. We are blessed, and there's nothing sinful about having material wealth, friends. But if that's the only blessing you're thinking of, you're getting blessing all wrong. And Jacob is mad because he, have, you know, he hasn't gotten what he's wanted, but he hasn't really wanted the right thing until right now. Because what Jacob has now wanting, what he didn't know before this wrestling match, he wants to see his face. He wants to know God. He wants to be with God. And the wound doesn't matter. 
So now he will wrestle for God to get near him and to know him and to be blessed by him. And God does what he always does here. He gives, gives us just a glimpse, not the full picture, but a glimpse of who he is. And then God blesses Jacob. And he changes his name. Which tells us our last point. Those self-sufficient who yield to him, even though they're wounded, are blessed in God, in this personal relationship with God. And therefore, they can walk in confidence with God. Because what does he do? Verse 30. So he called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Peniel, Penuel, same place. Very common in Eastern languages. You know, New York City, Big Apple. Same type of thing. All right. And Jacob now receives the blessing from the Lord and names the place because he has seen God and was delivered. He's seen God and he survived. Because seeing God was something no one ever survived in the scripture. And now he's going into his homeland and his name has been changed. His name used to mean grabber, wrestler, deceiver, schemer, all rolled into one. Now he's the one who strives with God, who wrestles with and for God. Israel. So, he's a changed man. And his limp and his new name remind him of this night for the rest of his life. No matter what happens in the future, that the principle that Paul brings out in 2 Corinthians 12, that in God's kingdom, there's strength in our woundedness, strength in our weaknesses. We are not impressive people. You know? We, we don't have to be, because God does not want us to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. He wants us to rely on Him. Because his grace is sufficient for each and every one of us today. To be very effective in the way we live our Christian lives this upcoming week. And so, dear Christian friends, in applying this as we go out to work this week, how can we do what Jacob did? How can we wrestle for the reality of God in our lives? For the nearness of God in our lives? What does it mean for us to hold on to his ankle like Jacob did and say, I will not let you go, Lord, until you bless me. I suggest three things. Write them down. Number one, read the Bible. Every day. If you don't know where to begin, take a daily bread. On the bottom of each page is sections of scripture to read. You can read it all in a year if you just keep up with it. You miss a day, don't worry about it. Just get back on track. And don't go back to January and start in Genesis. Just start where today, July 7th starts, and you'll pick it up again. Just get in that pattern of reading the Word of God. And before you read it, say, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your name. Show me your face in this passage. 
And it's fascinating to see how the Lord, just by reading stories, some you've read over and over and over, begins to speak afresh and anew to you. That's the first thing. It takes about 10 minutes, maybe 15. Secondly, give your life and your personal relationship with the Lord to prayer. Take the targets of the Lord's prayer, the five targets we talk about, you know, our Father who art in heaven, God's holiness, God's reign in my life, God's provision for my life, God's honor, and God's rule, and God's blessing. The point of those targets, to just take the Lord's Prayer and pause after every clause, you'll get it, to stop and use it. That takes seven minutes. Give yourself to that and watch you grow in your knowledge and your relationship with the living God. And as you do that, you find yourself being soft to the things of God and the needs of your neighbors. You do. And it's always easier to read the Bible than it is to pray. Have you noticed that? You know, you start reading the Bible, go, oh, this is so interesting. You start checking the cross-references. Wow, that's so interesting. Oh, I got to go. Fight that with all your might. Fight it. Because he wants to relate with you, to know you, and to walk with you. And last, but not least, obey. In other words, live a life of holiness. We are sanctified people. We are set apart. The reason the American church is struggling in our culture is we don't look that different from the world. Now, like I've said often, just getting up and coming on Sunday morning is a phenomenal start. Because your neighbor saw you get up at a very inconvenient time on Sunday morning and be here. Thank you. I love you guys. But it goes beyond mere church attendance. The way we're kind, the way we're shining the light, the way we're being salt to the earth. Obey the Lord and walk in his ways. That's what we do, friends. That's how we can get the blessing. We take our wounds, because we've all been wounded, and now some of us realize some of those wounds are from the Lord to get our attention. Two, we've been blessed by him. Because of the cross, I'm restored in a relationship with him, and I can walk with him, I can serve him, I can love him, and I can love his people. And I can love others, not in my own strength, but in his. And because of that, I can have confidence that I can go in a lot of different places, not in my own strength, but in my weakness, because in my weakness, I am strong in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. If I will read the scripture, if I will spend my time in prayer, and I obey, that'll come together. Let me tell you about a person who does that. Archbishop Ben Kwashi of Joss. As his children grew up in his home and they moved away, you know, lived their own lives, him and his wife Gloria, and in Nigeria, the bishop's wives are called mama because it's an endearing position in the diocese. So Mama Gloria had a burden from the Lord because all over Joss was a bunch of orphans, kids that were walking the streets, raising themselves. 
So Archbishop Ben and Gloria Kwashi now have, living with them today, 50 children 12 years and under. Wow! And he's just been appointed the General Secretary of GAFCON. Our Archbishop Foley Beach is now the, the leader of GAFCON, which means he's the new Archbishop of Canterbury, whether they like it or not. That's what that is. We don't care about Canterbury. We're Americans. We fought on an independent, you know, a declaration of independence. I don't have to go drink tea with the Archbishop of Canterbury to be validated. I've got Ben Quashi on my court. I've got Archbishop Foley Beach on my court. I've got Peter Jensen of Sydney in my court. I've got Nicholas Ako in my court. I got Iliad Wabukala of Kenya in my court. And he's in your court, representing 50 million Anglicans all over the world. And Archbishop Ben coined the phrase, the church is never called into mission, we're called, never called into maintenance, we're called into mission. If you're in the maintenance, you're stuck and you will die. He coined that phrase at New Wineskins in 2003. I've never forgotten it. Last weekend, as he got back from GAFCON, it's a different world in Nigeria. You know, he, he has his own cattle because he doesn't have a supermarket. He can go out and buy beef. You know, so if you want a hamburger, you go out back and you slay the fatted calf <laughs> and you cook the beef. So he has a person overseeing his herd. And in Nigeria, that's, that's an honored position to work for the archbishop. And he's a wealthy man because he's much beloved. At night, last Saturday night, his overseer of his cattle was shot in the head by a Fulani herdsman. We heard about the Fulani from Bishop Zumbas a few years ago, remember? They're jihadists who just want to kill people who don't agree with them. They know what persecution's all about there. And so he continues to preach the word of God, lovingly, calling the government to come to his job among them, not raising up an army and fighting necessarily against them, but calling them to repent and believe. What a model for each and every one of us of being in the word, praying in the Lord, walking in holiness and obedience. And he said last Sunday, he said, you know, whether we live, we're going to preach. If we die, we go to the Lord. Praise God. But while God's given me breath, we will preach the word. May it be so in our lives. In closing, you might have caught it. The second stanza of A Mighty Fortress is all about Jacob. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Let's rely on the Lord's strength and follow him together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. And thank you that you are our mighty fortress. 
And as we recognize, Lord, throughout our lives at times we've wrestled with you, we pray, Lord, that the wounds we've received and we've recognized they're from you and they're your grace to us to get our attention. We give our lives, all of them, to you, every area. We ask your forgiveness and may we resolve to follow you. Come, Holy Spirit, and move in each and every one of us that we would recognize that we are so blessed by you because we know you, Lord. May we latch on to your ankle and not let go until you bless us and we have the confidence to walk the walk that you've called us to walk in weakness, in your strength alone. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.